Hi, this is Phil and Jen, and this is season three of We Can Make Change. This is episode 10 with Jeff Ketch. So Jeff is a friend that we met, um, that I met a couple of years ago surfing in Santa Monica, and we were swapping stories uh, about life and what he does and then what I do, but also we had this wild connection that we both had suffered from uh, debilitating diseases that we had found healing through changes in food and fasting, and uh, we're really excited to be having this conversation with them today because Jeff Ketch serves as the Chief Impact Officer for the, Rail, for the Rodale Institute. Jeff is responsible for expanding Rodale Institute's global influence in healing people and the planet by unlocking the transformational power of regenerative organic agriculture. And as a chief impact officer, Jeff leads the development and the execution of the Institute's core strategies, overseeing opportunities for partnership and co-investment that drive positive outcome for Rodale's philanthropic and programmatic initiatives. Um, he served on Rodale Institute's board of directors in 2016, uh, and then he was instrumental in fostering relationships with that organization and business leaders in the organic food industry, and since he's come on staff there. Um, and Rodale itself is a 501c3 nonprofit that's dedicated to growing the organic movement through rigorous research, farmer training, and consumer education. Uh, widely recognized as a founder of the modern organic movement, Rodeo Institute has been a global leader in regenerative organic agriculture for over 70 years. And so we're really excited to hear his story and uh, um, talk about what it looks like to make change in the world in this huge aspect of our world. Yeah, it was such an inspiring conversation and you're going to want to listen all the way to the end. It was just so good. But before we jump into that, um, we have sessions going on and just want to invite you into that if that's something you would be interested in. Yeah, these are sessions for coaching, coaching in relationships and in spirituality. And so um, we've been loving doing marriage coaching, parenting coaching, and also coaching in like people's spiritual journeys. And so it's, it's just such a fun thing to be able to walk alongside people in these different aspects of life and um, just help them grow. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can go to our site at philandjenwood.com and you can uh, check it out there. And now for our conversation with Jeff. We're excited to have you join us. This is Jeff Ketch um, coming from Pennsylvania, right? That's right. Well, um, great. So great to be met. with you both. Yeah. Thank you. Um, we go back a couple of years since we've seen each other, but we met surfing with a friend in Santa Monica two years ago, and then we recently reconnected, and we were swapping stories that day in the water about um, both actually suffering with debilitating diseases that we experienced healing through like fasting and, and food, essentially. Um, and I think we actually suffered from those things like around the same time and kind of That's went right. through our own, it, which was like a weird, I've never met anybody who's was on a similar journey. Then uh, it just brought some like kind of wild connections for us. And so it's, it's really fun for me to get to reconnect with you again today. And um, would you just tell us a little bit about your personal story and how you came to be involved with organic regenerative farming and Rodale and all of that? Yeah, sure. First of all, Phil and Jen, total honor to be with you today. I'm just so glad to have this conversation with you. And, you know, Phil, I was just, you know, reflecting back on the first time we met. I mean, how awesome is it that we met in the surf lineup and you were kind enough to let me borrow a board when I was in town and we got waves that day. It was just like the perfect morning. It really was. The weather, weather was gorgeous. The waves were glassy. And um, I do recall that conversation and I felt like instantly connected with you. You know, every once in a while you meet somebody and it's almost like you've already you've met them before. Mm -hmm. um, that's sort of, that's sort of how I felt that day with you. So, um, yeah, you know, I've certainly been on a journey and, um, a lot of, um, maybe I'll just catch you up on, um, maybe the catalyst of the journey was a health collapse that ha happened about five and a half years ago. Um, I've always considered myself a relatively, actually more than relatively a very healthy person. Um, I've always been fascinated by human health. I grew up with a lot of health problems as a young child, as an adolescent, I struggled with chronic asthma and allergies and all kinds of um, health ailments that kept me back from really living a full life as a young person. And, and then in, around the age of 13, I 
began to do my own research. I was just fascinated by wow. uh, by food and how food had this ability to heal you and, and to change you as a person. And so I bought health magazines. I read articles about diets that were helping people to heal from things. And I recall um, at a young age, just asking my mom and dad if they could help me change how I ate. And within wow. six to 12 months, I completely changed. Um, I turned it around, you know, my oh. asthma and allergies went away and I went on to live a very healthy teenage life. And then into my early twenties, that sort of, that reflecting back on that season as a young boy, trying to change my health through my diet actually informed my entire professional journey. So in my early twenties, I went to work for a global health and wellness publishing company based in Pennsylvania and spent about 16 collective years working in the media industry and running health and wellness magazines. And then fast forward, yeah, fast forward to, I was um, six years ago, I was 36 years old at the time. And I was the senior vice president of the largest health magazine in the world called Prevention Magazine. You may know that little digest magazine every time you, yeah, you check out at the grocery store. So here I am like the guy in charge of this global health magazine. And I got sick, like Mm -hmm. 12 months into the job. I mean, really sick. Like it was first, it started with all kinds of flu-like symptoms and that kept me home for about a week. And then I finally thought, well, maybe I should go to the doctor. I was a week and I wasn't getting better. And the doctor couldn't, he just, he concluded that it was of the flu. So he asked me to stay home longer. And so over the next three months, I would go back to work and then I would fall. I, would, I kept crashing. I just wasn't getting better. Wow. Uh, finally, to the point where I had to go on medical leave um, first time in my life, which was a really humbling moment. Mm-hmm. And during that time, you know, that same doctor was literally not able to find anything wrong with me. He sent me to six other specialists. I had spent thousands of thousands of dollars and there was zero evidence for why my health collapsed. Whoa. So as you, so the last thing that, yeah, totally scary. Right. So the last thing that doctor did was basically say, listen, Jeff, I think it's all in your, he basically said, I think it's, it has to do with your stress level. It's all in your mind. And he, um, wrote me a prescription to an antidepressant and sent me on my way. He said, I have, there's nothing more I can do for you beyond that. And so it was just complete utter despair at that point. I thought, I know I'm a healthy person. I know there's something not right. And why is it that that I'm not getting better? And no doctor could tell me why. So at that point it was now January, it was about four and a half months into this whole ordeal. And I decided, well, I did this once before in my life when I was 13, Uh, I'm just going to become an empowered student of health. I'm going to figure this out. And so I'm home on medical leave. I was reading everything I could, I could read. And I was just becoming my own detective. And finally I recognized this whole other discipline of medicine called functional medicine. And I'm like, I need to get to a functional medicine doctor because Mm -hmm. what they practice is more like detective work. And so it turns out one of the best uh, functional medicine doctors on the East coast, um, who's one of the early pioneers of this whole type of medicine was three miles from the house I was living in. No way. Amazing. So I go see this doctor and, and, uh, to this day, he's still my doctor and he oh. helped, um, uncover that I had chronic Lyme disease and it went undetected. Oh, it wasn't coming up in the blood work. And so that was really the, the major coll- uh, reason for the collapse of my health. Oh. Man. And how long did you, like how many months were you in that debilitated state before you even figured that out? So at that point, when he finally, uh, when my doctor finally diagnosed it, it was a good five months of, of, of being sick. Wow. Yeah. And so little by little, he basically said, listen, Jeff, and this was kind of the, here's, here was the defining moment in the whole thing. Um, as I mentioned to you, I had been serving in the media industry as the leader of this health magazine, right. but I also had come in contact with this nonprofit called the Rodale Institute, um, <laughs> about 15 years ago. And I uh, have always been drawn to the work. I've always felt like it was this global nonprofit that was like the worst told best story out there. It was this organization that pioneered the whole organic farming movement. They're the only independent research organization in the world that was devoted to the advancement of organic farming. And I was always drawn to the mission, but I always felt like I, I, I always felt compelled to get involved. And so when I became the publisher of Prevention Magazine, uh, the nonprofit was also started by the same founder, J.I. Rodale, oh. in, the, in the 1940s. And so the Rodale family invited me to become a board member of the nonprofit while I was doing the job in their for-profit. Oh, it's awesome. Got it. 
it was awesome. And so I, I, I started learning a lot about regenerative organic agriculture while I was on the board. And when I was sick and I met my doctor and when he told me what was wrong, that I had Lyme disease, he basically, I said, well, doctor, how am I going to get better? He, I was like, what's the protocol for Lyme disease? He's like, well, frankly, when you're sick this long, there's no like prescription I could write to you. Like if you would have caught it early, we could have given you some antibiotics and we would have knocked it out in a few weeks. Oh. But because yeah. you're now in the chronic state, we're going to, and he, and I'll never forget this. He said, we're going to farm your body back to health. Wow. Whoa. And I was like, what, is, what I mean, does that mean? Yeah. What I've does that, that mean? Yeah. <laughs> so he explained to me, he said, well, Jeff, you told me, you know, what you, that your involvement with this organization called Rodale Institute, and certainly you understand the principles of organic farming. It all starts with the health of the soil. It's like, that's the foundation to it all. He's like, well, you, your, your body is, is also terrain. It's um, there's, there's, there's bio, your biology and it's, it's about building the health of your foundation. If we build your immune system, if we farm your immune system and get you strong, you know, if we get you eating proper food, if we get you releasing stress, if we start detoxifying you, if we um, do all these natural protocols like herbal therapy, uh, it's kind of like the organic farming of medicine. That's the best way he could describe functional medicine. And that was like the light bulb moment. And so I began to draw parallels between this new way of medicine called functional medicine and mm. its parallels with organic agriculture. They're both systems-based approaches to health. Huh. So a regenerative organic agriculture is systems-based approach to, to farming. Functional medicine is a systems-based approach to medicine. And so it was in that moment that I thought to myself, when I get better and when I can heal, I'm going to leave my job at the for-profit and I'm going to mm. go work for the nonprofit. And that, that was really the dawning, sort of the dawning moment of that whole idea. And so by Ju July 1st, that was February. And then by, by July 1st, I um, was working full-time in the capacity that I am now at Rodale Institute. Amazing. Oh. Wow. What were some of the, um, I'm just so interested because this, this stuff fascinates me too. Like, and I, I totally resonate with you as like the 13 year old reading the health magazines. That was actually me too. Like I have always just been interested in this idea of, um, kind of like what we're putting into our bodies and exercise and all that. And just in general, like how that relates to our health. What were some of the things that, that you feel like really made a difference in your health that you, that you changed? Great question, Jen. First and foremost, uh, food, food is medicine. Yeah. So, uh, so when I began to really dive in and study Lyme disease and sort of the root causes and what keeps people in that chronic state. So Lyme disease is a very complex illness. Um, there's, there's so much we don't, it's been a very unstudied uh, medical condition. Um, fortunately now there's beginning, there's early pioneers that are really starting to study this chronic illness, but it's inflicting more and more people around the world. Yeah. And uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bacteria. So the Lyme mm -hmm. bacteria, Borrella burgdorferi, I think is how you pronounce it. It feeds on sugar. So it's a bacteria that actually perpetuates in an environment um, that's acidic and that, that uh, when people consume a lot of sugar. And so one of the first things I learned is that if I began to change my diet to an alkaline non-sugar diet, then the Lyme could not proliferate because there was no sugar for it to feed on. And so I went on a really strict diet. It was all organic food, um, mostly plants, um, a little bit of pasture-raised meat and, and eggs and lots of healthy fats like avocados and coconut oil and um, no grains for a long time and no dairy. And I just ate like plants and meat basically, but all oh. pasture-raised organic, really clean ingredients. Um, I did a lot of intermittent fasting, like Phil, uh, I know has that in common with me and um, lot, dr drank a lot of water. I would spend a lot of time in an infrared sauna, which causes your body to detoxify. Um, I learned how to move my body in a healthier way. So I was doing a lot of yoga and meditation wow. and a lot of, a lot of herbs. There's a lot of real, I mean, what's amazing. Here's something really cool uh, ah. is there's a, there's a particular herb called Japanese knotweed, okay. uh, which is, which actually grows prolifically here in Pennsylvania. Oh, Japanese no knotweed. It, it grows all over the world, but isn't it interesting that the herb that is most helpful to Lyme disease actually grows in the very place where Lyme disease is so prolific. So it's, that's to mm -hmm. me, a testament to mother nature's ability to provide all the healing and nourishment we need in nature. Yeah. Um, so th that's a little bit of a, like a little bit of a snapshot. There were certainly other things that I did too, 
But the, if I, if someone were to get sick and they said, Jeff, I'm not getting better from antibiotics. What else can I do to heal from Lyme disease? I would say change your diet, start detoxifying, reduce stress and um, use herbs, herbal therapy. Wow. That's awesome. Those are not small things. I mean, that's, a, I bet that was a that's massive, a, that's uh, a really hard change. Sounds like you were healthy before, but it sounds like that might be a big, a big jump there to, yeah. It's like you changed your, you changed your body's makeup so much that the Lyme just couldn't even live there anymore. It's like it had to just die off and go. So I changed my ecology. That's exactly right. It's the whole idea of farming your body back to health, you know, and in my work at Rodale Institute, we're trying to teach farmers how to transition away from chemical dependent agriculture towards biological agriculture. So most of the farms in the United States rely on chemical intensive methods to treat weeds and to treat pests. So it's, it's not unlike someone getting Lyme disease and trying to kill that Lyme bacteria with an antibiotic. It might work and it probably will work, but it's going to do a lot of destruction at the same time. You know, antibiotics are designed to kill all the life in your body. When we go, when we as farmers go to the fields and we begin to apply synthetic pesticides and herbicides, we might be successful in killing weeds, but we've totally destroyed the ecology at the same time. So we kill all the life in the soil. You know, there's something like 10 billion microorganisms in one teaspoon of healthy soil. That's more than there are people on the planet. So soil is alive. It's actually the most complex ecosystem on the planet. It's more complex than rainforests or oceans. And then what we do, what we've done is we've built a system over the last 70 years that's very chemical intensive. And so um, we as consumers don't see this with our naked eye, right. but most, most farms in the United States are killing the life below ground. And when you kill the life below ground, you hurt the immune system of the whole ecology. So I'm, I'm drawing parallels to what happens to a lot of, you know, our healthcare uh, people that are exposed to traditional healthcare in America. Mm-hmm. We've become so reliable and, I, and I'm not demonizing pharmaceuticals, please um, hear, hear mm-hmm. that from me. I'm just saying that we've become so disconnected with how biological processes work and we rely on these chemical processes. So we, yeah, we might take an antibiotic, but we never ask the question, well, what is the downstream negative effect of that on my body? Mm-hmm. If I'm taking an antibiotic, it's going to have an immune effect. It's going to weaken my immune system because I'm it, at the same time, we have 10 billion microorganisms in a teaspoon of healthy soil. We've got lots of organ microorganisms in our gut In our gut it's called the microbiome. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we, we kill all the life there by taking some of these pharmaceuticals. So, um, we need both, I think. And that's, you know, that's the, um, we're integrated beings, right? Like that's the idea that we are connected to nature. We're not disconnected to nature. Yeah, absolutely. I love, um, how you were saying that it was like the solution was right there for you, even just with the, um, the herbs that live right, that were growing right down the street from you essentially. But can you talk about how the soil, um, can heal? Like, how can the soil do the same for our earth? Like what's the parallel? There? Well, and, and also like what, what state is it in? Like really? Yeah. I mean, maybe we start there. What's the problem? One then like, <laughs> how, yeah. How, how could we heal it? Because it's, I mean, yeah. most of us aren't involved at all with the dirt. Um, <laughs> at least yeah. the people that I know. And so it's, it's such new information as you, as you come to terms with all of it. Um, it's almost like shocking, you know? It, yeah. And yet it's so it's, it's literally the life force for all of us, you know, and I, and I, you know, and I, I think I want to draw upon, you know, your work. And if you actually look at the, you know, I think it's the, the Hebrew word for soil is what humus, right. Which is also the same word for human. So essentially from soil comes humanity. Yeah. And Um, you know, and and at the same time as the soil goes, so we go. So current estimates coming out of the United Nations would suggest that if we continue to farm the way we're farming today, primarily using chemical conventional approaches to farming, we have something like 60 irritable growing seasons left on planet earth before we've completely depleted our soils of their ability to feed the world. So there's, that's such a shocking statement. Yeah. I remember we were just I feel like this is feels somewhat like new information and it really makes it me sad not. that it is, but I feel like we just heard that recently. We heard that this year. Like, what? For the first time. 
So our kids, essentially. I mean, did you guys watch the movie Kiss the Ground? We yes. did. I think that's right? where we heard it. And we were watching Thanks. it with our kids and they were like, so that's like our generation possibly. <laughs> our kids were like, are we watching Interstellar? Is this like how it began? <laughs> oh my God. I am so glad to know that you watched that movie. That movie has done so much good for our world to enlighten that, people yeah. on this on the problem and, and also to provide a solution. Um, it, it, to me, it's the most exciting story going on on planet earth. Yes, it's scary. Um, we've gotten here and it took us 70 years to get here. I mean, chemical farming really didn't start until right. post-World War II. So it's been like a seven decade march away from connection to soil. Um, in, in during World War II, this is crazy, crazy, crazy thought here, but during the World War II era, almost 45% of all the food that was put on Americans' tables came from our own backyards. So you may remember the whole Victory Garden movement where the US government was basically asking people to grow food because it was taking, it was, you know, our, our men were over fighting a war and so there was no farmers to grow the food. Wow. A lot of the women were taking over factory jobs right. just trying to keep right. the, yeah. the engine going. And so we did that and we fed America out of our own backyards. Today, mm -hmm. only seven decades later, Almost 20% of all the food you and I purchase at the grocery store comes from another country. Wow. Think about that. So 50% was coming from our own backyard 70 years ago. 20% of all the food consumed today comes from another country, let alone someone right. in our community, let alone our own backyard. Right. Wow. So it's been like this 70-year march away from connection to source. But what's so interesting about it is that the soil is also the greatest solution to our world's right. problems right now. Like if we fix the way we farm, bound up within that healing and that redemptive act of changing the way we produce food is our water gets cleaner. Mm. Uh, the air gets cleaner to breathe. Uh, the people consuming that food get healthier. We lessen our burden on healthcare. We lessen our reliance on global supply chains and all the costs to get food from other countries into this country. We fix uh, the economic outlook for our rural communities and our urban communities. Mm. Uh, oh, and by the way, we can reduce and mitigate the effects of climate change. I can go on and on and on, but <laughs> everything is like there. <laughs> it's like, it's all bound up in agriculture. Agriculture is currently the biggest challenge in my personal opinion that we face but when we fix it we heal all the other challenges it's wild i mean that gives me so much hope just that there's in and the fact that the answer is so i mean i don't want to overly simplify it but seemingly obvious in the sense that it's just it's in the soil it's in like we can actually do just do something about it so tangible is that gives me hope well it's also it's also participatory so in other words it's not it's not just the, the farmer's problem and let's help them fix their problem. It's like, wait a minute, I play a role in that three times a day mm -hmm. based on how I vote with my dollar, right? We all vote with our dollars three times a day based on what we put on our plate. At Rodale Institute, we call it the power of the plate. Mm -hmm. We actually wrote, we published a white paper that your audience can, can download. And maybe we'll link right. to it in the, show, mm -hmm. in the show notes or something. But yeah. the idea there is that we all vote with our dollar. And when we begin to vote by supporting farmers in our community that are doing the right thing, that are farming in a way that, they're, that, that, that is harmonious with nature, when we are supporting farmers that are growing food without the use of pesticides and herbicides, um, and when we keep those food dollars in our own local economies, it has like this massive ripple effect and we can actually accelerate positive change very quickly and we can turn this around really, really fast. And we're starting to see that. You know, there's like this great awakening we're living in right now. Mm. Okay, that term. That's amazing. We talked about that just for a moment before we started this interview as we were catching up. The great awakening. Um, break that down for me more. Well, it would seem that we are waking up to the fact, I think the pandemic has really accelerated this. Um, Explain that word. We, well, I, I think, <laughs> I think my, this is just my sense. Okay. And, and I, let's talk about this because I value your perspectives on this as well. I think we've, I think this, this pandemic that we all just lived through was like the great disruptor. It was also like the great exposure. Yeah. So do y'all remember like when we were um, asked to quarantine, what was that March of 2020? Yeah. Everything shut down. And what happened just a week or two later, we all went to the grocery store 
and there was nothing on the shelves. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing on the shelves. Not even toilet paper. Um, Mostly <laughs> not toilet paper <laughs> in our area. But um, what was fascinating to me is that the statistics are showing that direct farm sales. So here in Pennsylvania, I can I, I live an hour from Philadelphia and an hour from New York City. But yet from my own back door, I could visit five organic farms on my bicycle from, from wow. my house easily. So like there's amazing farms right in my community, but I live close to a, two cities. Direct farm sales. So people literally, farmer, mostly organic farmers, local farmers were, were beginning to sell product right out of their farm. No way. And direct farm sales in the United States went up 425% year over year in 2020. That's amazing. So all of a sudden, these farmers that were struggling to find a market for their product right. were burgeoning. They couldn't, they couldn't keep up with the demand for their products. Wow. Um, second to that, the National Gardening Association, which is a very credible source that looks at the growth in the gardening market in the United States, uh, said that 22 million new gardens were planted in the year 2020. So what happens? We're all home. We're quarantined. We're realizing, oh my gosh, um, I'm more disconnected than I realized from my from source because I thought food came from a grocery store. Well, what we saw was global supply chains break and we all say, now what? Let's find our local farmer and support them. And so that happened. So now all of a sudden these farmers have markets and then they could grow. And then number two, we all said, well, I'm home. I'm not working. I'm not traveling. I'm not getting on and off an airplane. Why don't I, why don't I plant a garden? And people actually did that. So I guess there's, there's the hope of it all. And like, that's just the beginning of the crack that I began to see. And now I think, you know, I'm watching people become more interested in their own health. You know, we learned a lot through the pandemic that we, we don't, we're not a very healthy society. You know, why, have, why has this pandemic taken its toll in the way that it's had? We have a very unhealthy population. Um, and then I think, you know, moreover, I think for me personally, where I'm realizing right now for me is how how tired I am of technology. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I spent, yeah. you know, we, we all spent a lot of time on zoom and living this sort of virtual life by out of necessity during the pandemic. And I think what I'm seeing in the last six months of my life is this craving for authentic, meaningful human connection. Mm-hmm. And I'm just watching this in my own life. And in many of people's lives, we're like, when you get together with people now and you're in person and you're around a table having a meal, like, can you guys at all relate to like, it just feels like there's like an extra level of sacredness to that. Oh yeah. Yes. The gratitude for it. It's just, it feels, yeah. I don't, I think we've always had this understanding that there's a sacred nature to like gathering around a table and to, you know, communing in that way, like eating some, there's something special about eating together, but I just feel this like deep gratitude now for relationships and those moments where we're all in a room together. Absolutely. It's different. And you know, what's interesting is what you were, what I thought you were going to say is I actually feel a different appreciation for nature too. Um, and like, even when we were watching that kiss the ground, the movie, when they were like putting their hands in the soil, I had this like desire. I was like this, that looks amazing. Like, I just, I don't know. It's like, I want to just, I just feel like a different appreciation for just being out. Um, and experience really, that, you know, the tangibility. I'm, I'm really glad you said that, Jen, because I think that would have been maybe the most important, you know, realization for me as well, is um, the, our deep, deep appreciation for nature. I'll never forget this. About three weeks into that whole quarantine thing, uh, my wife, Jackie, and I went for a walk on like a Sunday. We, it was like a, it was, it was just becoming spring here in Pennsylvania. And it was like a nice, warm um, Sunday afternoon. And we went to two parks that day. These are parks that, you know, you might normally go to and see five or 10 people walking on the trail. It was packed. Yes. You couldn't couldn't get a parking space there. It was just people like walking like a procession around the park. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you. Like, this is truly what it's all about right here, isn't it? Yeah. I know. I remember going outside, even just like taking breaks from work and dealing with our kids and like the Zooms and like you were talking about the Zooms. Oh, my gosh. Uh, almost killed me but um and just even like the sun on my face just walking outside and be like oh thank you <laughs> you know yeah. just this diff- yeah. different appreciation it, I, I i love the language this it was a great awakening mm-hmm. i mean there was a lot of loss and pain and disconnection and it provided this immense space of like 
awakening at the same time. I think where, I mean, the whole great resignation where people are reordering their priorities and they're saying, I'm not going to operate this way anymore. And I love that you're seeing that and how we look at food and how we understand healthcare and how we, um, like, like for me, the stories we were swapping about going through my own, um, all the autoimmune diseases I was experiencing back then and going through that fasting process of like purging all that out and then, um, realizing that food really is medicine. And so like reintroducing different types of foods that have a different impact. It was funny. Cause there was a point that I, I used to love to go to Del Taco <laughs> and I, it's like hard to believe I, though. Cause we just don't I, eat like it's that. It's been anymore. a long time, but I went and I try after the fast, I tried to eat it again and it made me feel so sick. And I remember going, I, I, I think I can push through this. I think I can like, I think I can get back. And it, but it was, it was like an awakening of, um, like food really is medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It hadn't dawned on me before that, but I, I feel like the whole world is going through that awakening at the same time right now. Yes, yes, yes. It's a powerful feeling. It's an absolutely powerful feeling when you can, when you can consume something that can be so transformative or so destructive. Right. Um, do you think that, um, can you draw connections between how, like how you're eating with also mental and emotional health? Do you feel like there's a connection there? I would actually add one more layer to that. So yes. And I would also say spiritual. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, um, it's mental, emotional, and spiritual because yeah. Yeah. certainly what I put in my body affects my mental clarity. It, it, if, if I'm, if I'm feeling, if I'm feeling good, then, then I can, there's almost like this ability to have the pause, you know, that, that's that, that moment where you decide to be loving or unloving mm-hmm. in a moment. Like, like if you're feeling clear, if you're feeling nourished, right. if you're feeling grounded by what you put into your body, it actually allows you show, to show up into the world a little more loving and a little more kind and a little more present and a little more awake. Um, so I actually think it's, a, you know, I think Phil, we have a friend who talks about the fact that we're integrated beings, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. like, uh, like, yeah, what I do put in my body affects my soul. hundred <laughs> percent. I yeah. totally agree. It's like a oh, and then thing. by the way, and, and, and then by the way, once I, once I realize that, like, what does this mean for me? Then it treats, it, it affects the whole way I treat the world around me. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. When you're, I mean, that's in the scripture, it's love your neighbor as yourself. Like really it's the same, you know, if you treat your body like crap, you're going to inevitably treat other people the same way. Yeah, isn't I think I you you you're the expert in this department, Phil, but isn't the idea like what what was actually being said in that in that in that verse is it's loving yourself first. And if you love yourself first by you know by consuming the right foods, by moving and breathing healthy, by sleeping well, by managing your stress, if you do all these things, if you love yourself, then you can love your neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like an overflow. Mm-hmm. Should we go back to some questions that we actually yes. have for him? Yes. We're so interested. This is so interesting. It's so, so fun. Um, so as far as organic, because the Rodell, the founder of your organization, he kind of coined that term, right? Organic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is kind of a big question, but why, I mean, specifically in terms of health, would you say organic versus non-organic conventional why is that yeah synthetic um synthetic inputs in food like why is that important to us and our health and to you know specifically in terms of health let's start there sure um so jr rodale was the founder of the rodale institute and in 1942 he uh was studying agriculture this guy was the furthest thing from a farmer he was actually an entrepreneur from new york city Really? businessman. He wore suits every day of the week, um, never stepped foot on a farm. But then in the late 1930s, he actually came from a whole family of, um, that had health challenges. His uncles and father all died in their early fifties. And so he looked out into the future and he's like, that's where I'm headed to if I don't get this under control. So then uh, he and his brother started a, a, a business. They were quite successful and they were running their business out of New York City during the World War II era. 
And he, they wanted to move the company out of New York City to lower their overhead because they're paying all this money for rent and for employment and, and for paying wages in New York City. And they was like, well, why don't we take the business out to Pennsylvania where there's lower labor rates, there's cheaper real estate. So he comes out to Pennsylvania, which is like an hour and 15 minute drive. And they find this town called Allentown. And they, they're like, yeah, this is the perfect place to move the business because there's there's a train network here. It's like halfway between Philadelphia and New York City. Um, there's a good labor pool here. Uh, so they bought a home in the city of Allentown and then only to realize, he's like, why did I do that? He's like, I'm surrounded by gorgeous farmland. I have all these health issues. What if I actually owned a farm? Then I can grow my own food. And then I, if I ate the food I'm growing, then conceivably I could be healthy. Mm-hmm. So he um, went a few miles outside of Allentown uh, and bought this 40 acre farm. It was a dilapidated conventional chemical farm. And uh, he started studying agriculture, like just as a total out of total curiosity, he went to like Penn State University, which is our our land grant university. He went to Rutgers, he went to Cornell, and everywhere he went, he was asking, how do you farm? And the answers he kept getting, he, he thought he was asking all the experts, and they all said, okay, JI, it's really, farming is really simple. You go out and you buy these things called inputs, chemicals. Mm. And he's like, okay, got it. I get that because I make stuff too. I have a business and we make products and we need to bring inputs into our factory to make the product. And then that's how you grow healthy food. And he said, okay, cool. I get all that. But could someone please explain to me how you take toxic chemicals and turn them into healthy food? Mm. <laughs> And of course, no one, no one could answer that question. And so that was sort of his light bulb moment. And he actually, um, you know, at the time there was chalkboards and he actually wrote some words on a chalkboard. It was like his own sort of his own great awakening. And he said the words healthy soil equals healthy food equals healthy people. That was his thesis. His, his, his idea was if I'm going to farm, then I better focus all my efforts, all my energies, all my emotion on the healthiest possible soil. If I do that, then I'm going to grow really healthy food. And if I do that, then I'm going to be healthy. And that was the guiding principle of our work. And that still is our mission statement today. And what we're really saying there is that the way we treat the soil says everything about the way we treat ourselves. And the way we treat ourselves says everything about the way we treat the earth. And so we believe at Rodale Institute that soil health and human health are inextricably linked. And all the science being conducted at Rodale is really looking at how we can connect soil health with human health. He called it organic agriculture, by the way. Okay. okay. So he coined, that was sort of in that moment that he coined the term organic farming. Yeah. And that was like, I mean, that was seemingly kind of groundbreaking, right? His thesis at the time, it was just, everybody's using the inputs for the most part. Yeah, that's exactly right. So in post-World War II, that's really when we saw the massive influx of chemical agriculture. Um, oddly enough, a lot, of, uh, a lot of the early industrial farming techniques came out of uh, chemical warfare, as crazy wow. as that is to say. Wow. But what, essentially what happened is, is like we had all this excess of... Um, ammonium. And I I forget all the chemicals that were being used to create warfare products, but some of them produce nitrogen. Nitrogen is what you need to grow plants. Um, Now, nitrogen happens naturally through the photosynthetic process. Photosynthesis creates nitrogen. However, we were able to isolate nitrogen through these industrial applications. And we thought, oh, we could just apply all this stuff to the soil and nitrogen will be in the soil then. And that is true, but what we didn't think about was all the life we were going to kill by doing that. So um, that's really, that was sort of the early ideas around chemical farming and how we got to where we are today. Okay. Like how wild <laughs> is that? Because it sounds like a science fiction story that you just told. I mean, you just said the chemicals that they use from the warfare we the- use for our food that we put in our bodies. <laughs> what? Sounds so ridiculous when you say it out loud. I wish I was making that up too, but no, I mean, it's so like, you know, the, what it's, it's like, yeah. And not only is it products that we're, we were using to make war warfare, uh, 
items, but it was actually, I think, bombs, you yeah. know, if you think about it, like, yeah. like, like ammonium and hydrogen and all these things that you would use for explosives can actually be used for somehow for synthetic fertilizer. It's just that they were, they weren't thinking about the deleterious effects of introducing these things into, into farming. Yeah. And then it just was massively accepted. Um, okay. That is, it's almost hard to get your brain around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should ask this question next because this is another fascinating. I was thinking one. about okay in in that documentary they said um, they highlighted the feedlots and then how farmers are subsidized to produce and use the synthetic kind of farming in order to guarantee a profit by the government to continue to grow what they need to in order to produce for the feedlots that are then creating obviously the big carbon releases into the atmosphere. It's like a huge system that's essentially funded and subsidized by the government. Um, how do you break that cycle? Well, I think we're, we're watching that cycle break right before our very eyes. Um, so yeah, you're right. I mean, so you've, you've certainly alluded to it right there, Phil, by saying that, that our, our policies are perpetuating a broken system. So, you know, I, I will say I've gotten to know farmers, both conventional and organic farmers. Um, I've, I've met a lot of them through my work over the last five years. And here's what I can guarantee you. There is not a single farmer, conventional or organic, that wakes up every morning and says to themselves, I can't wait to go make people sick today. I can't wait to destroy the planet today. That is not the spirit of a farmer. Farmers are some of the most intrepid souls on the planet. I mean, Farmers, no matter what, who, who they are or what they're farming, they are some of the most att- attuned, present, grounded people you'll ever meet. So I love every farmer. Um, but with all that said, uh, we've asked our farmers to do what they're doing. Uh, number one, we've created uh, political, we've created policies that are perpetuating bad behavior through subsidies. Um through lending. So a lot of our banks won't lend to organic farmers because banks are very risk averse. They want, they want farmers to keep doing what they've always done because if they do that, the bank knows they're going to get paid and everyone in the system gets paid, but the farmer farmers are struggling right now. Um, At the same time, you know, farmers want to do the right thing. It's just there, they don't have anywhere to go for that support. And that's really where, where, where Rodale Institute comes in. So we're actually living at a very exciting time because there's sort of this new mindset in agriculture called regenerative agriculture. Um, at Rodale Institute, we call it regenerative organic agriculture. We believe those two words are, must be linked. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially what farmers are beginning to realize, uh, and so are scientists and policymakers and business leaders, is that, wait a minute, farming does have a lot of solutions bound up within it. If we can get farmers to stop spraying harmful chemicals and start, stop tilling the soil, then we actually can get, make the whole thing better. And so right now we're seeing new policies that are being architected in Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. We're seeing global food companies beginning to come forward with, um, t- with 10-year goals. So there's you know a lot of a lot of uh, Nestle and General Mills and other major food companies are, are crafting 10-year plans to reduce uh, the current ways of farming and begin to embrace regenerative farming. Wow. And so I'm very hopeful. Um, and great. Rodale is actually kind of like on the front lines of that. So I'm seeing it mm-hmm. like almost on a daily basis. I'm beginning to see the change happen. And I think the last thing I'll say there is that we're seeing consumer demand at an all-time high. The organic food market um, grew last year by 15% year over year. It's massive growth. Mm-hmm. The food industry is sort of like a flat industry. It's, it's, it's a good year if the food industry sees one or 2% growth, but the organic sector saw 15% growth last year. So we're seeing consumer demand increase because of people like you that are helping to get the word out about, you know, what we need to do to change. And at the same time, we're, we're beginning to put pressure on corporate interests to change their ways. And so I'm, I'm very hopeful, very hopeful. That's incredible. That's so encouraging. And with policies being changed as well at the same time. I mean, even our own grocery store in our neighborhood, I was just thinking that they just remodeled the thing and they tore out the produce section, which used to have a tiny little organic stand in the middle. And now as they rebuilt it, it's, um, a significant portion of it is for organic. Where do you guys shop? Standard Brothers. (laughs) Oh, that's a little local store. I feel like Costco. Yeah. It's like a little local. It's right around the corner or Costco, but Costco has great options for 
like most of their stuff is Fantastic. has an organic option for, in which that's been, we have that's, three that's, boys. That's um, so there's a lot of food happening in our house. <laughs> what, what ages are they? Um, 14, 13. I was like, am I getting this wrong? Right. Cause it's almost his birthday. 14, 13, nine. So oh, awesome. eat a lot. but the two the oldest are just in that, like, you know, just, I don't even know how Frenzy. many calories a day. They're, Five they're, meals. Yeah, they just, just stand at the pantry and just <laughs> eat out of it. Uh, we bought a lot parents... at one point for the pantry. Like that's where we were at. In COVID, I right. put a padlock on the pantry. It was real. It, it oh turns God, out it's inconvenient to have a padlock on your pantry. <laughs> yeah, we got rid of it. Like first day. But Didn't still. work, but. My parents raised three boys, so I totally feel your pain. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Where yeah, are you yeah. in the lineup there? I'm in, I'm in the middle, actually. The middle, middle, like... and middle, and we're all two years apart. And um, wow. when I was uh, like in my mid-teens, like 16, 17, um, it got to the point where my dad told me I had to get a job. <laughs> He's like, if you're going to keep eating like that. And, I, and this is a true story. I would, go do my own gro- I would go do my own grocery shopping because I was eating like six times a day. So wow, wow. It was, I totally get it. Yeah. Totally get it. Yeah. We're definitely at the point where we're like when they want to eat out with their friends and stuff, we're like, that's your allowance. Have, and they're learning a little bit about like the value of food and cost and all that. Well, but, that but that's the thing about organic is it's, it's, a, it was, has always been a hurdle to us in the past because it's just costs more, more yeah. obviously. And um, really good friends of ours made a switch maybe five, six years ago. to just, they're like, we're committed full organic. And um, they just, decided they were going to make sacrifices in other parts of their life and budget in order to make that happen. And they, they're just like, we, this is the bill that we're willing to pay because it's our health and our life. And it was, it's super inspiring. Yeah. That, 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 that is everything to me right there, Phil, because that is what everyone needs to be reordering is their priorities. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what it's going to take is a reorder, a reorder, reordering and reorienting of our priorities. And, you know, we've become so divorced, so disconnected to where our food comes from and how that food was produced that we all think that cheap food is just the way it's supposed to be. And our food is food in this country is artificially cheap. Um, The kind of food most of Americans are exposed to is killing us and it's killing the planet. Um, There shouldn't be 99 cent burgers. That's not, that's not a, that's not a healthy society. And so I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in what you just said, you know, is um, my wife, Jackie, and I make tremendous, you know, we make sacrifices to put organic food on our our table. I mean, we have to say no to something over here in order to say yes to something here. And um, I think that's really what it's going to take for us to turn this around. Yeah. I think one thing that was kind of um, a light bulb like went, went off for me. It was thinking about it in terms of like, are you going to spend money on the front end with your health or later on when it catches up to you and you're paying the medical bills for whatever thing that you now disease or cancer, or whatever, you know? So, yeah, we have, yeah. uh, we have, you know, as, as I mentioned, we have a artificially cheap food, food system here in this country, but since 1960 to today, we've actually seen um, an, inver- uh, an inverse in our GDP on food to healthcare. So 40 years ago, 50 years ago, we were spending twice as much in the United States on food than we were on healthcare. So two to one. Mm. Today it's three to one, but the other way. So it's 3.2 trillion on healthcare to 1.6 trillion on food. And so you're, you're, you're absolutely nailed it because we're not, yeah, we may be paying for artificially cheap food on the front end, but man, are we paying for it on the back end by doctor visits and medicines and everything else that we need to try to stay healthy. Wow. That's wild. I believe it though. That makes sense. It, 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 that really is a great awakening. That's like a shocking awakening. It's kind of like when people talk about like going to therapy, like, or, you know, your marriage is in trouble or something. And they're like, do you want to spend money on the therapy or the divorce? Whatever. It's like the same idea to me though. Like, it's just, I'd rather just be preventative in that way, you know? Yes. Interesting. You know, what's funny though, is even because we've made steps. I mean, I, I went yeah, through we're not the diseases that I went through and then the fasting and the whole thing and found healing in it. And then as we're becoming more and more aware of just the realities of the choices that are before us and the impacts that it has, we're, we, we haven't made all the steps in our own life. Yeah. And so we're, we, 
actually talking this morning and Jen's like, you know, that by having this conversation with Jeff's like, <laughs> we're going to have to make all the changes now. Like we can't have a conversation <laughs> and not make the changes. Yeah. Well, I don't think this is something to be dogmatic about or, or to beat ourselves up over. I think it's a, it's no. an evolution. Right. And, 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 um, you know, we, 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 we have to be kind to ourselves along the way. Um, but at the same time, you know, in the end, it's just better, you know, it's just better. And you just feel better, you know, which is, I think it's like an immediate, that immediate kind of, um, I don't know, response, like response to like when you eat healthy and versus when you don't. And anyway, um, you want to wrap it up with our last question or well, do you want to keep, yes, keep but this is so interesting. I want to keep going. I think that a thought first, the, the, the nutrient density, because it's one thing to talk about the cost. And it's one thing to say, oh, it's just cheaper to do this or it's artificially cheaper for whatever reason. But then to realize like that while you're getting the calories, food that's grown in that conventional way actually doesn't have the nutrients that you need. So while you're filling up, you're actually like, what did you call like, like a, it's a starving, it's a form of, of. It's called, we, at Rodale Institute, we call it the uh, hidden hunger. Okay. Hmm. So um, we're, we actually are five years, four years into a groundbreaking uh, research study at Rodale Institute. So when I go to work every day, I actually go to a physical farm. It's a 333 acre farm. We have office offices there and we have 90 employees, but it's a farm, but it's actually, it's more than a farm. It's called a, we call it a living laboratory. So there's all kinds of research happening on that farm. And our, our latest study is the first study of its kind in the world. Isn't it sad that we are in, in the year 2021 and we're just now conducting a study to set out to answer the question, is organic food truly more nutrient dense? So we've never studied or compared organic food and how that food is produced and compare it to conventional vegetables and how that those are produced and studying and comparing the nutrient qualities of both of those foods. And so we've done that. And so now we're five years into this groundbreaking study. It's called the vegetable systems trial. It's a long-term study where we're actually growing or certified organic vegetables grown in a regenerative manner in plots directly next to with buffers in between, but next to vegetables that are being sprayed with the chemicals that most people in this country eat. And what our scientists do is they actually take samples out of that study and they send those samples off to a third party lab for analysis. And we're only a couple of years into the study. We're comparing like not just vitamins and minerals, but we're also comparing like phytonutrients and micronutrients and amino acids and all kinds of little stuff. And we're looking at the differences in these two farming systems, right? With the goal of answering that question. Uh, after just a few years, we sent off some samples last year. Um, th this particular sample was potatoes. Uh, it was a purple variety of potato. Some were grown conventionally, some were grown organically. They go off to this very, very sophisticated laboratory in the Midwest, um, not owned by Rodale, so it's unbiased. And the laboratory sends back, now this isn't published yet, but the early data indicated that there was 26 phytonutrients, micronutrients, amino acids that existed in the, in the organic crops at levels 100 to 700 times higher what? than the conventional. Yeah. That's only after four years. So wow. you have to, you have to realize biological changes take time, right? Like you watch your boys grow and like, they didn't like grow overnight. It's like a process and they, and, and the biology takes time to unfold. Just, 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 just the same is true for soil. Um, the way we treat our soil, it's not like it changes overnight. It's like when you begin to change the way you're managing that soil, it, it slowly unfolds, unfolds over time. However, we could not, but we were absolutely astonished to see such stark differences in nutrient quality of food after just four years. So it just goes to show that there are tremendous differences in the quality of the food, the nutrient density of the food. Unreal. It's unreal. And, and, uh, and we've, you know, we've so devoid our food of nutrients of vital micronutrients over the last 60 to 70 years based on how we produce that food. So um, I'm very hopeful. And I think this kind of science being conducted at Rodale Institute is needed now more than ever 
so that we can be an independent voice of reason for the world and we can influence our food producers in a much better direction. Okay, that is, okay, armed with all of that knowledge now, we're asking everybody in this season of this podcast, We Can Make Change, we're asking the same question. Um, what's one step that our listeners can make towards making change in their life to move towards I was going to say a healthier way of eating, but really it's a healthier way of engaging the world. I mean, I don't know how to say it at this point. I love that question. I think it's exactly the question. And the, and the answer is very simple. It's very, it's more clear now than ever before, because I've been doing this in my own life and it's changed me. And the answer is to get to know a farmer. Mm. Every single person wow. listening right now has the choice to get to know someone in their community that is growing food in healthy soil without pesticides or herbicides uh, in a way that is in harmonious with nature. And you get to know them. Um, the last couple of weeks, I've met a farmer here in my community. His name is Ben. So shout out to Ben at Wild Fox Farm. This guy is so rad. And <laughs> he and his wife, Kara, are the coolest people. And they are so sold out to changing our food system and they wake up, they work tirelessly to grow food in healthy soil and to nourish our community. And Ben and Kara show up at our farmer's market two miles away from our home every Sunday. My, my, Jack, Jackie and I love going to the farmer's market on Sundays. It's part of our rhythm. It's like a rhythm of life. You go to the farmer's market, you get to know, you shake hands with the people growing your food and you buy the food directly from the person growing it. Like yeah. that changes everything. Wow. Everything. That's my, awesome. My, um, my grandfather was a farmer. We used to spend all our summers when we were kids out there when I grew up in Texas. That's really, really cool. That's so I, having this conversation with you, it, it, it makes me realize the, like the vastness of it. Because in, 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 I think coming into the conversation, like, oh, yeah, we need to talk about food. But it's, it really is like a spiritual awakening. I mean, you're right that the, the Hebrew, even for or Adam is, is Adam. And it comes from the word for the earth, Adama. It's like, we're literally the earth creatures that we come out of the dirt. Um, Whoa. So it's almost like you're, people are, are so spiritually hungry. And um, it's fascinating that like getting to know a local farmer with your hands in the dirt is a spiritual awakening. You know, we, we often want to disembody like a spiritual awakening. Um, when it really is just like right here in the ground. Right. That's fascinating. Right. right, right. Yeah, it's uh, it's become my new spiritual practice. I mean, I, it's Sunday morning and, you know, that's like my, that's my way of going to church is like, is going to engage with my community at a farmer's market and getting to know the very person who's feeding all of us. Like, think about that. Like, that's powerful. Yeah. Your farmer's market is your spiritual practice. That is yeah. incredible. <laughs> wow. It makes me think too about how we, um, a lot of times, similarly to the way we engage with food, like we'll settle for the, the cheaper version of spirituality or the cheaper version of the food or the cheaper, ver the, the easier, faster, quick fix. But it's, I mean, to go to the farmer's market, shake hands and slow down and engage with the, with the person. It's like, it reminds me of like, the ways that we can engage with our spiritual lives in that, in a way that it's like a deeper, slower, um, I don't know. There's just so many parallels there. Just yeah, makes sense that's it. to me. That's, that, that, that's absolutely it. And then the contrast to that would be, you know, the next time you're at the grocery store and you find yourself picking up that item and you're like, how can I afford this? This is so expensive, or I'm just mm -hmm. going to buy the cheaper thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pause, pause and say, wait a minute, what are the downstream effects of this decision? Mm. You know, what water is getting polluted? What air is getting polluted? What, what, what is this gonna do to my own body? How far did this have to travel? Was the person that grew this even paid a fair wage? Mm. Uh, you know, like these are the questions we need to begin to ask ourselves because then we realize how connected we are to one another and to the earth. Beautiful. That is. Thank you for that. Jeff, thank I'm you. I'm going to do that. Thank you for all of this. This was really fun and uh, hugely awakening. Thank you. I enjoyed this conversation very much. And I'm so, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to talk with you both. And I'm 
really excited by what you're doing in the world. And, and thank you for all the great work that you're, you're birthing. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to check out our website, philandjenwood.com, to register for upcoming experiences and to see what else is going on. And if you enjoyed this, feel free to subscribe. You can even leave a review. Keep going. See you next time.